This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Ash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 39, our look at early diagnosis models, plus from The Vault, a 2021 conversation that sheds light on similar issues. This conversation starts with Louise Campbell commenting on Ian's approach to the model. She notes that today's pathways do not work with 85% of all cirrhosis in the U.S. diagnosed in the ED department and 55% in the U.K. She also notes that while innovative programs exist as examples of good practice, they are not widely emulated outside the settings in which they were created. Louise then goes on to ask how many more patients might be captured and diagnosed if the model focused on all metabolic diseases instead of just diabetes. Ian states that this question cannot be answered within the confines of this model and the data used to build it. He also notes that the UK National Institutes of Health Research is seeking partnerships that can assess common liver disease and their relationship to other metabolic conditions. Finally, Ian notes that this model evaluates getting the diagnosis, not therapeutic successes resulting from that diagnosis. These would present various analytical and practical challenges which he outlines in the conversation. As we've all heard on this podcast over the years, late diagnosis costs money and haunts patients who live with the severe downstream consequences of a disease that became more severe while physicians assured them that it was not an issue and did not need to be treated until it was late. This model provides insight into steps that might bring earlier treatment to the patients who need it at a socially acceptable cost. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. I think it was a lovely piece and it's great to get the comparison of these different pathways. Everybody talks about cost and depending on how you do it, the costs can change. So Ian's right. We need to find the best patients earlier. And the majority of what we find is sick disease very late. That has to be a sign that these pathways aren't working, that we've currently got in place. So we do need to revisit, revamp and look at these strategies that we're currently employing. I heard a statistic in the US, 85% of all cirrhosis is diagnosed in the ED department. In the UK, it's 55%. So again, that is a sign that these pathways aren't working. And people keep trying to just adapt a pathway and bring something else in. And that seems to be way more expensive than taking evidence like Ian's got or Mars and Neurodin's created in type 2 diabetes and look at the cost effectiveness of some of the strategies that we've got and put them in. One of our problems, as I'm sure Ian will go on to say, is access to Fibroscan and non-invasive technologies at primary care level is scarce and it's only in a very few liver pathways that have developed it. Nottingham, Southampton, because they made it and it's all they're always picked up as absolutely perfect examples of great practice but they've been running for a long time and they haven't gone beyond examples of great practice so this evidence we need to be driving forward for patients and really getting in there that's why it's absolutely vital that we start to build on this and hopefully nice will allow primary care access to be able to develop exactly what ian's demonstrated here as a really cost-effective screening opportunity for liver disease. But Ian, can I ask you, if you were to look at it from metabolic risk factors, how many additional patients do you think you'd have found who you could have directed to endocrinology or lifestyle management for type 2 diabetes, cardiac risk factors, which again adds potentially, I think you alluded to it, better cost saving because you find different types of disease risks. Ian Rowe. Yeah, so that's a really good question. I don't know the answer. So we've, we've taken a, a population defined by patients who are currently undergoing testing in the UK and it's the cohort is defined uh, broadly according to the 
patients who were included in the ballet study. So that was a study that was done exclusively in primary care in the UK and looked at the distribution of uh, risk factors and ultimate diagnoses in the population. So we can't say what the difference would be if you tested a different population because we don't we don't have information about that and about the liver disease that's that's in those groups. And one of the things that we have to be clear about is what the purpose of diagnosing liver disease is. I know that there are discussions in the UK around using testing for liver disease as part of a multifaceted approach to evaluating patients who've got multiple long-term conditions or, or metabolic multimorbidity, whether that's diabetes, obesity, at risk of diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular risk factors, and understanding how each of those plays into the presence and severity of fatty liver disease and, and vice versa is something that I think we you know, increasingly need to understand because that might help us which patients to test on when recognizing that the majority the vast majority probably of those patients their other risks are, all, are going to be greater than their liver disease and it's important that we don't end up deprioritizing liver disease just because it's not as important as the others in the vast majority of patients but allow patients to have access to appropriate testing so that they can either be reassured about liver only or or they can receive a diagnosis that's important to them in a conversation that we've been having about this so so our national clinical research funding body, the National Institutes for Health Research, has got a call out at the moment for partnerships for liver disease. And the idea of these is to try and build teams of researchers who can address questions principally in common liver diseases, so NAFLD and alcohol, focused around early diagnosis and prevention. And one of the obesity researchers was very clear about how patients who have these metabolic multiple long-term conditions, you know, often don't want more diagnosis. They just feel that that's just layering on guilt in essence about, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another weight-related complication. And if they don't have a significant fibrosis, perhaps they don't need that diagnosis as well, unless it is going to change their, unless it's going to lead to meaningful behavior change above the information that they've already got. And thinking about you know, how we make a diagnosis and when we make it in that population, I think is really important. I think that's right. And I think I do the counterbalance to that is that by showing somebody that you can measure something like liver fat and watch minor changes, it actually does motivate it does change behavior so avoidance of a diagnosis is that good or is that bad just because you might give somebody an additional diagnosis doesn't mean that not giving that is a good option and i think it's giving somebody the information to make an opportunity for change if we ignore that opportunity that's not necessarily doing the best for the patient and it's the way they position and support so that would be the counterbalance to that because you can measure it now before we've just gone away and said wait lose weight we can do that in slimmer people who have just as worse diets and probably worse liver disease than some people who are bigger on the outside for example so spoiler alert before we go back to stay in this conversation which is next week uh, Maz and Nuruddin and Michelle Long are coming on and talking about their paper about treatment protocols for patients with lean NASH just just a, a duly noted that says that's a, that's a whole different um, kettle of fish if you will but we'll be getting there next week um, Ian go, go ahead you're going to respond I have a couple things I want to add but you go first I think we urgently need to understand to what extent and how reproducible behavior changes in different settings with diagnostics. It's a complex intervention in many ways. It's a test. It's information given at the time. And one of the important things that I would say about the piece of work that we've done is that it, the cost effectiveness is simply around the cost of making a diagnosis. It's not the downstream consequences of that. It's because by and large, we don't know. I mean, we're not confident 
that in all settings and reproducibly telling people that they've got liver disease due to nephrod or alcohol influences their behavior. And in terms of downstream outcomes, that's one of the, you know, that's probably the greatest known unknown. And I was talking to somebody about this earlier on today and about whether fibrosis first was a potential screening strategy for the population at risk, whether you call that screening or case finding or whatever, is a separate argument. But the analogy I drew is that we're quite good at giving treatments where there's established disease. So in cirrhosis, we've got treatments that probably reduce the risk of decompensation. Very straightforward using beta blockers and perhaps reducing consequences of HCC when it's diagnosed. But what we don't have is what we have for screening colonoscopy, and that is we don't have a clear preemptive intervention like polypectomy. You know, so you do screen colonoscopy, you take the polyps off and you prevent cancer. What we don't know is we do the test here to what extent we reduce the risk of future liver-related events in those people who we diagnose with treatable liver disease, but almost as importantly, whether we're having an impact on those patients who aren't diagnosed. That, I think, is something that we've really got to we've really got to work on and in fact there was a very interesting presentation i can't remember who presented it but it was in the nurses and allied professionals section within easel and it was looking at the brief intervention effect on behavior of a fiber scan and on one intervention behavior change two years later was still significant in most of the population who made the alteration so it was a very interesting piece i've seen the call out for collaboration and partnerships in the nhri and i think the one thing that they're calling for is increased access to villages, to rural communities, to um, seaside resorts and things like that. But actually, there seems to be little that I can apply for to say that everybody can have access to Fibroscan, even if you don't normally have it, which seems to be a problem for people. If you don't have it, you don't actually even look to use it because you don't think you can get those resources. That's where I'm looking at the NHRI to, for that collaboration, to be able to use things like the data that you've got to strengthen these pathways. That's the concern. And the more evidence that you guys produce on how effective doing it this way, because I'm presuming that that took away the cost costs of specialist referrals to get to requests, all of those additional costs that you mount up before you even get a test, which makes a test very expensive and very selective. Is that right? Partly right. The model does include downstream consequences, so not being referred to secondary care being being the big one. You know, seeing a secondary care doctor is expensive and often of low yield. I can say that's how I work in secondary care. But you're often not learning a lot more from me than, than you've already learned from your GP or the nurse in the practice in terms of the actual advice that you're given. I mean, I might be able to tell you lots and lots about liver disease and, and the relative importance and place it with everything else. But you know, sort of actionable information is often not much more, particularly if I say, before I can make a decision, you need to have a fibre scan, in which case you've got to see me again afterwards, which is not a good way. It's probably not a good use of the patient's time and, and or probably not an excellent use of, of our time either. So we could use that time more effectively within the whole system. In terms can of- I ask you a point on that? Did you find in your data, would there be a category of patients because you did say that there was increased referrals to um, hepatology, presumably more appropriate referrals, because every commissioner in any part of the world that does that goes, that's money. And if we don't look, we don't find, therefore we don't spend that money. Is there a section of that population whereby, certainly in the fibrosis first, or any of the others where virtual appointments could come in to, again, save costs, direct the right people and more appropriate tests in their own community environment? 
So, yeah, I mean, the referral thing's interesting because people have seen the risk stratification idea as being as a referral and different systems are different in the UK. Some of that is around demand management and that I suspect is not the case in, in other systems. But, you know, people see that risk stratification as, as doing that. It might not actually, it probably, it probably increases referral slightly, but, but you're seeing more of the right patients. ILFT is, is quite referral heavy, despite what some colleagues are saying. And I think as we get more experience with it, we'll see the impact of that on services. The more tests you do, the more you find. And I think it's it's quite challenging because you don't give what I would consider to be a normal diagnosis to everybody. The commonest diagnosis in the last publication of ILFT is abnormal ALT without fibrosis. Now I I don't know what that's I don't know what that is. It's not a it's not a diagnosis. I don't think it's a sort of it's a description. And the reality is without careful management, a proportion of those patients are going to end up being referred despite us sort of knowing that they probably haven't got significant liver disease and there are many challenges in this space because we've started off with test with a test or panel of tests that might be quite good in people who've got advanced disease but in people who've got early disease they're essentially hopeless and and it's and there's a lot to, there's a lot to think about we hope you've enjoyed this recording if you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com we will be back next week with a new episode of Surfing the Next Tsunami on Wednesday, August 10th. Mazen Nouradine and Michelle Long will join us to discuss their recent paper on lean Nash management. Please join us. And until then, stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Surfing the Nash.